You're listening to the Sporting Heroes podcast brought to you by Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones and everybody, when they're growing up, has someone who they look at and in a sporting sense, they absolutely idolise them. And the man who I'm joined by this afternoon is absolutely no different. Uh, big businessman here in the northwest of England and on top of that, a massive Evertonian as well. It's a warm welcome to Frank McKenna. Hi, Matt. Uh, great to have you in. Uh, we'll get on to you in a footballing sense in a moment or two. But first of all, uh, you are a part of downtown Liverpool and business. Yes, uh, 15 years and counting now and we've, um, you know, during that time we've, I think, achieved quite a lot in terms of helping to to grow the economy here and certainly support the business community. Uh, I think we are a constructive critic of, uh, of the City Council and other public agencies because they don't always get it right and we, we try and tell them when they're not getting it so right. Um, but equally, you know, we celebrate and support them when they get uh, things, uh, they, they do things in the right way, which is most of the time, I have to say. Um, and now, of course, the business is nationwide, so we operate right across the north, of England about three years ago we went to Birmingham and most recently we we set up in London so yeah keeps me out of trouble man. (laughs) All going extremely well (laughs) that is uh, one of your passions in life of course Uh, another one is the fact that you're a a massive Evertonian. Mm. Yes and um, have been for many many years Um, first season I actually got the pleasure to watch Everton was 1969-70 championship season I was five at the time um, and my dad used to take me on the Gladys Street every week and it was the days of the Holy Trinity ball, Kendall and Harvey. Um, my dad also, bizarrely enough, was the coach driver for Liverpool Football Club's wow. first team. <laughs> so my dad used to take me quite regularly to Melwood, um, but through a connection, I think maybe Ian St. John, um, we managed to get into Belfield, uh, a couple of times. And I remember the first time going into Belfield, I met Alan Ball and I was absolutely shocked by his squeaky voice <laughs> um, because, of course, in those days, footballers weren't as accessible to, through the media and, and so on. So when you were actually meeting footballers then, it was like meeting a Hollywood superstar. Uh, and we went round the players and, and Ball, he was in there, Howard was in there, um, Joe Royal was my big sort of favourite at the time. He was the goal scorer. So, you know, as as most young lads, uh, you tend to, to, to favourite the centre forward. Um, but that was a fantastic team. Uh, and of course, we then had a period of 14 or 15 years uh, without any success whatsoever. We, we went through some really dark times, um, some Near misses as well. I think Gordon Lee was unlucky on a couple of occasions where we finished sort of third or fourth, which these days would be considered a huge success, but back then was just seen as a failure. Um, The uh, infamous FA Cup semi-final goal that wasn't a goal that Brian Hamilton scored and Clive Thomas um, disgracefully disallowed and we're still bitter about that. I think that was (laughs) 77. Um, So that robbed us of an FA Cup final appearance. Um, so it was it was dark times up until, of course, um, the mid 80s. And although I've sort of got vague and fond memories of that 1970 team, obviously at that age, you don't really appreciate what you're watching. And so the first great Everton team that I saw and was able to follow home and away and, and enjoy 
every single moment of it was that 84-85 team, which, of course, won the FA Cup, won the Championship a couple of times, European Cup Winners' Cup, endless appearances at Wembley, uh, number of Charity Shield wins as well. And it was just such a superb time to be an Evertonian um, that, you know, I, I don't think even if we were to get to a position now where we started to uh, compete at the top end of the Premier League again, it would be as an enjoyable um, period for me because I was the right sort of age. I was mm. in my 20s. As I say, I was able to follow the club home and away. Loved every minute of it. And uh, again, I'd have to say, and I don't say this lightly because I have an awful lot of sympathy bizarrely enough, for modern-day footballers. Uh, I know everybody envies the cash they're on, but I just don't think they've got... They have the fun, the camaraderie, the sort of joy that you used to uh, experience Mm. and and share with the players from back in that era of the 80s. Uh, And so, you know, as much as I still love Everton today, and of course I want us to succeed and I'm desperate to see the new ground developed and so on, Um, The fact of the matter is that whatever we do, I don't think that I'll ever enjoy a period the way I did in the mid-80s. We'll get on to your sporting hero in a moment, but just because you you talk about that that really poor time in the 70s, Mm. that probably makes what happened in the 80s feel all the more better because sometimes you've you've got to go through all the struggles and the hardship to to have the fun and the, the, the success. It's a great point, actually, because I remember, I mean, obviously, I've got loads of friends who are Liverpool supporters and... You know, they almost used to go to the game expecting to win. Now, that must be nice in one sense, but also there was little anticipation. You know, during that 70s period, nobody could touch them, really. I can't remember how many titles they won, but it was sort of year on year, wasn't it? It was very seldom mm. that anybody got in their way. And so, of course, when we did go on... Um, what we would consider to be fairly successful runs. It was a fantastic experience and really enjoyable. I mean, I was a season ticket holder throughout the 70s, and I remember people, obviously Bob Latchford again, goal scorer, centre-forward, but, you know, people like Mike Lyons, a huge Evertonian, centre-half. I don't think he ever... I don't think he ever played in an Everton game where we beat Liverpool. When we famously beat them with the Andy King goal, which was after about eight or nine years uh, without a Derby victory. Uh, Mick Lyons was actually injured. So he was then seen as a bit of a jinx by everybody. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying he never featured in, in a Derby victory. And I remember Gordon Lee's first, second or third season, we went 24 or 25 games unbeaten and went right through till Boxing Day and then Manchester United came to town and turned us over on Boxing Day by six goals to two. And then we the sort of wheels fell off after that. We, we finished about third or fourth. Another time prior to that, Billy Bingham, 74-75 season, um, we were going for the title. And bizarrely, we lost home and away to Carlisle. Had we won those games, Carlisle were, were relegated that season. If we would have won those games, we'd have won the championship. So, you know, some real highs. And as I say, this day and age... Um, performances that would have been considered successful but back then particularly with that shower over the road win and everything it was just seen as life in the doldrums for Evertonians so the 70s yeah as I say you, you can look back and reflect and think actually it wasn't so bad 
but it was a miserable time as an Evertonian. So you're quite right, Matt. Once the 80s and that mid-80s team burst onto the scene in the way that it did, it was such a joyous occasion. You know, it was just fabulous, fabulous times. Mm. To Radio City Talk, you're listening to Full Time and I'm doing a sporting hero with Frank McKenna uh, from downtown in business. Uh, let's get on to your sporting hero then and I'm guessing it's going to be someone who comes from that <laughs> famous Howard Kendall side off the 1980s. It absolutely is. And as I say, Matt, because we've been through so many dark times, we, we were desperate to see success. And I think we were even more desperate if if that was possible, for Howard to be successful because he'd been such an integral part of that previous great title-winning side of 1970. There was a huge affection for, for Howard. Um, I remember him vaguely, as I say, from, from, a la- from being a lad on the terraces on Gladys Street. So as a manager, you know, we all were willing him to win and he went through a terrible, terrible time to the point where sort of Christmas 1983, there were... You know, p- people actually daubing on his garage, Kendall out. And there were also there was petitions flying around. There were cushions being thrown at the end of games onto Goodison Park. And all of a sudden, they turned the corner. And it was a game that uh, I was one of, I think it was 13,000 people on the night who were watching in the terrible weather. And it was Coventry City. And we had this little midfield dynamo. I think I'm right in saying came on as a substitute we were getting beat. Reedy came on uh, and almost single-handedly turned the game. We won that game. We went on to to get to the League Cup final that season. Uh, got beat almost inevitably in a replay by Liverpool. But then Peter Reed, to me at that time, epitomised what Everton Football Club is about. Reedy was a, a hugely underrated footballer first and foremost. Um, you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of times Peter Reid had given the ball away. Um, when the team lost the ball, the first one to try and go and get it back was Peter Reid. There was a grit and determination about Reedy that was just so visible that you could almost touch it from the terraces. And although he wasn't the captain, the fact of the matter was he was a leader. He was a leader of men and you could see why you know, people would be galvanised by Peter's enthusiasm, his energy. And he would say he wasn't the most technically gifted footballer in the world. And of course, he wasn't a Suarez. Uh, he wasn't a Messi. But what he was, was the archetypal Evertonian who would basically take the game by the scruff of the neck. And you never felt when Peter Reid was in an Everton team that you were beaten. Um, and there's so many times which you could point to a game where it may be slipping away from Everton and Reedy would would literally get the game, as I say, by the scruff of the neck. I remember going to Villa Park for a cup semi-final, I think it was 85, uh, and Luton Town, it was, yeah, 85, and Luton Town were beating us 1-0 and the ball went out of play. Uh, our player was down injured. I think actually... Reedy had just um, taken one of their players out, if I remember <laughs> correctly. And I think it was a guy called Hill, who was a very good player for Luton at the time. And he literally went round every single player, shaking his fist, saying, come on, we can't allow us to go out at the semi-final stage. And, you know, within the next 15 minutes, we turned the game round, equalised, gone into extra time, won the game 2-1. But the number of times you used to see Peter running around the pitch, punching his fist with that 
you know, little diminutive figure of his, but an absolute bundle of energy. And as I say, for me, a, a combination of silk and steel, uh, with the emphasis, I guess, on steel. Absolutely love Peter Reid. I'm just looking at his statistics here. Joined Everton in 1982 from Bolton for just £60,000. You wonder what he'd be worth in this day and age. Made nearly 160 appearances over seven years. Won 13 England caps as well, which seems ridiculously low. Um, But on top of that, during his time at Everton, two uh, First Division Championships, the FA Cup, three Charity Shields and the European Cup Winners' Cup, as well as the PFA Players Player of the Year in 1984-85 as well. I mean, this is someone who was highly regarded by his his teammates and his players across the league as well. Well, I'm fortunate enough to have met a lot of the 84-85 team. And, you know, none of them have a bad word to say about Peter Reid. I mean, to be fair, none of them have a bad word to say about anyone else within <laughs> that team because there was such a camaraderie within the club at that time and within the, the squad. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as I say, he wasn't the club captain, but I think everybody saw him as a leader, a skipper. And, you know, what an awful lot of people say about the heroes is that they're fantastic until you meet them. Um, now, I met Peter Reid first time probably about eight years or so ago to do that uh, the club hosted to celebrate the 84-85 season success and he basically went up in my estimation as a person so down to earth um, wanted to talk to supporters wanted to to reminisce with you nothing was too much trouble for him and I've been uh, extremely uh, fortunate now to to meet Peter both socially and in business. I actually interviewed him at an event earlier this year for for downtown in business. And as I say, he's such a down to earth character. Still loves Everton. Ironically, of course, as a kid growing up, he was a Liverpool supporter, yes. as was his dad. But his mum was a massive Evertonian, so he tells this story of you know his mum was always the one who was right. <laughs> um, and Peter's politics, you know, again, he doesn't uh, he doesn't hide his light under a bushel, you know, so he shares a, a lot of my political beliefs, you know, he's a working class lad, obviously he's made uh, a, a decent summer cash during his career in football, but he's never forgotten his roots, you know, he, he was a big supporter of the Hillsborough campaign, he's been a big supporter of the Remain campaign and the second referendum campaign, you know, if you, if you follow him on social media as I do, his political statements are fairly consistent. I don't agree with everything he says. But the fact of the matter is, you know, that as heroes go, um, he's somebody that not only was it fantastic to watch him uh, as a hugely influential and successful player for my football club, but off the field uh, as a man, he's clearly somebody who is a guy that, you know, is great to have a pint with and fantastic to socialise with as well. He certainly is, and a wonderful person to be picking as a sporting hero as well, not just because of how good a player he was, but uh, how great a man he is as well. Uh, Frank, thank you for your time, and thank you for sharing Peter Reid as your sporting hero with us this afternoon. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Frank McKenna picking his sporting hero on Radio City Talk's Sporting Heroes podcast. If you do hit the subscribe button, you'll get a new one in your box every week, and I've had some great guests in the past, and I've got some great ones lined up to come in the future as well. Alternatively, tune in every Wednesday to Radio City Talk 1548 Medium Wave on your DAB or on the Radio City app and you will hear a sporting hero every Wednesday.